What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Yamatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a good show for you today. Touch on Midget Baseball, uh, what's happening on the field, and the fact that the 2019 Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place earlier today. I'll touch on that later on in the show. I'll touch on Tiger Woods absolutely flopping at the uh, Open Championship over uh, over in Ireland uh, this past uh, couple of days. I'll touch on Ben Simmons' contract extension, and I'll touch on Tyreek Hill and Ezekiel Elliott not facing discipline from the NFL for their respective little uh, in, uh, episodes that happened off the field. And a little pal, uh, Brennan Dillon, will join us later on in the program to discuss the 50th anniversary of the moon landing when us as mankind and us as the United States of America planted that American flag down on the moon and thus became the first people to walk across and land on uh, the moon. So I'll touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, but first, we'll do some baseball. Uh, let's do a little whip around here. I got four teams I want to discuss, and then a uh, death in the uh, baseball family that I also want to touch it with touch base with. No pun intended. In the opening monologue, first off, we'll start with the with the San Francisco Giants, who have played f- phenomenal baseball as of late. The San Francisco Giants, ladies and gentlemen. Have, the San Francisco Giants have won eight of their last ten games. They won an extra innings today, beating the New York Mets by the score by the final score of three to two, in in uh in twelve innings. They have absolutely hit the cover off the baseball. Their pitching has been top notch. The pit the guy that got the win for them today was uh, Menez, who went five innings, giving up three hits, two earned runs, two walks, six strikeouts. And the bullpen has been lights out through this Giants hot streak. They're now sitting at the 100th. We got, we've played 100 games so far in this MLB 2019 regular season. They are fit. They're tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks for second place at 50-50. and 50, and, they, and they've won eight of their last ten games. This is a team that if we go if we go look at them right quick, this is the team coming into this year was looked at as kind of a you know what will you know what do you say kind of a rebuilding year, so to speak where we trade off our final trade you know candidates no one expect them to be that good, their manager uh Bruce Bochy's final season out of giant plus an plus an odd year anyway Giants. You know, if they get hot, it's mostly in even years because of the even-odd little pattern that they have. But coming out of the All-Star break, they have really, really hit the world on fire. They close out the first half. They won two out of three at home against the Cardinals. They took two out of three from the Brewers, swept a miniseries against the uh, Colorado Rockies in the, in the middle of this past week on Tuesday and Wednesday. They uh, well, actually, they swept the Rockies. They played a doubleheader on Monday. So they swept the Rockies. They beat them all four straight games. They they whooped the Rockies nineteen to two in the first game. Beat them two to one. One Tuesday eight to four. One Wednesday eleven to eight. They they lost to the Mets on Saturday eleven to four. They got lucky as all can be because the Mets can't stop Metting, and uh, and the and the shortstop or the left fielder. Didn't know what to do for the mess in the bottom of the tenth inning, and they and they pulled a uh, Luis Castillo, letting the ball drop with two outs in the middle, of the inf- you know, in no man's land. So, so all granted, Giants got lucky with that win. They beat the Mets on Thursday, and they had a walk off win earlier today, and then they and then they played the Chicago Cubs to begin the work week on the twenty second, which is to, which is tomorrow on Monday. But this is a team that has really set the world on fire. Now granted Rockies aren't world beaters per se. I mean if you look at I mean if you look at the division, the Rockies are forty seven and fifty two, eighteen and a half behind behind the Dodgers and have lost seven of the last ten and are also uh five games out the second wild card spot. 
So, granted, they haven't necessarily beaten the greatest talent, but they've played well. And this is a team that still has the majority of their of their core in their lineup and uh and Brandon Crawford and uh and Buster Posey and they still have Brandon Belt and uh you got a couple guys that's postseason experience and Kevin Pillar, they still got the Panda and Albert Pujols still there. They got the nice young player that they acquired from uh the Orioles and Mike Yastrzemski, so who's who's been okay, you know, not nothing great but he's been okay. I mean and the bullpen Sam Dyson, he's con. It seems like he's conquered his own demons. He's he's four and one with a two point six three ERA coming out of the bullpen for the San Francisco Giants this season. You got Mark Melanson, who's seen, who's uh, kind of found himself. He's doing okay, three and two with a three point eight three uh, ERA for the for the Giants as well. Uh, and the guy got they got the win earlier today, six and zero oh with a. Three point seventy, three point seven three ERA uh, earlier today. So they're they're a nice team. Now whether the whether you should say if you want me to say, do they sell? Or do they hold back? It really because they only have one trade deadline with the rule change. They have July thirty first and that's it. So what they do, what they do, come next Wednesday on the thirty first. Really depends on how they handle playing the Cubs this week, and the Padres, and what they look like heading into the Philly series. You know, if they if they go, they let's see, that's uh, three, six, seven. They got seven game. They got seven games before the thirty first deadline. If they can, if they can go, five. If they can go five and two, if they can go five or five and two or better. Yeah, why why not? Why not try to try to add it? You still have Bumgarner there, who has been a good postseason. Who's been a good going on, very good going on, great postseason pitcher. He's proved that. And this is the guy that people were talking about. Well, where do you trade him to get pieces back for him? Because the Giants are playing so well, and they still have and they still have a little bit of that championship core left that they that including the manager who's done a phenomenal job leading them to win three championships within uh within a five-year uh period who knows i mean 15 it really depends on on what they do this and the cubs in the in their in their calling card in their tests will be will be this series coming up against the cubs Hey Padres, eh, I mean, got to beat the Padres, of course, beat beat the bad teams, but the Padres are no world beaters by any stretch. I mean, Manny Machado was getting paid over three hundred million dollars hitting in the two sixties. He play he played with he played with us and was arguably one of the best players in the American League. I mean, just just I mean that 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 should tell you a little something. And the Phillies necessarily haven't been complete world beaters in. They can't get out their own way. Harper, same thing. Three hundred million dollars hitting in two fifties. I mean, come on now. But this series against the Phillies, excuse me, against the Cubs coming up uh, early this this uh, the this week, really should prove and really is the Giants' calling card on whether they hold back and try to add and try to make a wild card push. A last, a, you know, a last, not a last second, would make a, a wild card push because remember they won in 2014 as the second wild card team and went all the way to Game Seven World Series to beat the uh, to beat the Kansas City Royals. So it's not like that they that it hasn't been done before. And it's not like that they can't do it because they certainly have a, what's left of their team from their championship core. They have enough players with the manager included. To and not to mention Bumgarner, they they have if if they get put in that opportunity, the Giants could 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 uh could be world beaters if they ever got a chance to participate in the 2019 MLB postseason. But all that depends on what they do this week, especially especially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday against the Cubs, because 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 if they if they beat them and they handle them well. Then and and take care of business against the Padres and beat the and take the first of three from the Phillies. We could see the Giants holding on the Bumgarner for at least one more year to make it to make a uh, to make a postseason push. 
second team on the uh, on the uh, slate here is the Cleveland Indians. This is an Indian team that has turned it around. Another team that's kind of found their way coming out of the All Star break. They won today by a final. They beat the Kansas City Royals by a final score of five to four. This is a team that is. Uh, that's three games back of the first place Minnesota Twins who've kind of hit a wall coming out of the All-Star break. Twins are 4-6 and six in the last 10 games. Are lost on Saturday night. One earlier today. Uh, Cleveland, 57-41. Three games out of three games out of first. They won, they won today. They are 32-21 at home and only 25 and they don't, so they don't play well on the road. But again, Three games out of first, 57 and 41, and they won seven out of the last 10 games. And they hold and they hold the uh, top spot in American League wildcard. And this is a team that people were looking at saying, I mean, they, I mean, they had to get it. I mean, they, there was no choice that coming into the season that they had to compete. Last, last year with their remaining core, they blew a, they blew a series lead to the Indians back uh, three years ago in 2016. They had that remarkable winning streak in 2017. Got up on the Yankees two nothing because because Joe Girardi mismanaging and uh, because Joe Girardi's mismanagement and the fact that at the time Gary Sanchez couldn't catch anything but a cold behind the plate. Uh, and then they and they went up two zero against the Yankees. Went to Yankee Stadium and completely got ambushed and got beaten five games, uh, courtesy of the New York Yankees, who came back down from a 2-0 lead. And 2018, they didn't they didn't even show up against the Astros. So this is the team that has their backs against the wall. That if they make the postseason, they have to have to make a run at a World Series. I know it is. I know it's far fetched. I know that they're going to be going up team, going up against the big boys like Houston and the Yankees. But it's the game of baseball. Anything can. They still have a chance to win the division. They still have a chance to win the division. So it's it's going to be interesting. To see how the Indians operate. Because because you're hearing trade rumors with them, well, do they will do they trade Trevor Bauer, and and, and what what we do with and what we do with the players we got a you know free agents next year? What we do with that? No, you, you ride the ship, okay? You have a hold the top wild card spot, and division is still achievable. You won seven of your last ten, and you're three games back. And, and you still, and f- at least for one more year, you still have the majority of your core intact, and they and they have postseason experience. So, if if I'm the Indians, it's nose down, nose down to the grindstone and full speed ahead. And and don't, and here's my philosophy. And and I know people are gonna say, well, are you gonna, well, are you going if they don't win the division? Well, are you gonna buy up and you know and 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 trade away prospects for one game for one game playoff? Listen, it's base, it's baseball. Literally anything can happen. Two thousand fourteen, like I just brought up, two wild card teams, two. Made it to the World Series. Two wild card teams. Two teams that that had that had the longest road to the World Series, playing in that wild card game, all the way up to Game Seven in the, in the World Series. So, it, it, I mean, I mean, look, look, I mean, look, two years ago. Indians had the best record in baseball, best record in the American League, had that win streak in late September to close out the season, and they get ambushed by by a Yankee team that was, that was a wild card team. So anything can happen. You know, Yankees, Yankees or Houston get in, get in a little groove or whatever, and the Indians come out of nowhere and blindside them, and, and then we're looking at the Indians in, in the, in the uh, ALCS of the World Series. So you never know. But if I'm the Indians, I keep my nose to the grindstone, and I and I keep pressing to, to get that World Series championship, something they have not had since, I think, 1946. And they haven't been back to the World Series in three years. And they're looking for revenge from blowing the lead against Cleveland. 
So, so you have that. So you have that. And if I'm an India fan, I'm like, I don't get the division. Division still, the division still achievable. You have the wild. Just don't fall apart and choke down the stretch. That's all I'm. These last sixty-two some odd games. If I'm an Indian fan, I'm asking them: whatever you do, do not fall apart and collapse and choke. Because you can make the postseason, and anything can happen in the in, in the playoffs. Anything can happen. Because sometimes the best team doesn't always win. Indians were a much better team than the 2017 Yankees team, but they lost. Anything can happen. Go to third team in the New York Yankees. The Yankees are sitting pretty and flying high, even though they lost today. By the final score of eight to four, but they've been flying high as of late. They've won seven of their last ten games. They're sixty-four and thirty-four. Have a nine-game first-place advantage in front of the second-place Tampa Bay Rays. They're they're going to head to Minnesota to play the Twins, who who's a first-place team at sixty and thirty-eight, in the uh, leading the American League Central. This is the team, and how and DJ LeMahieu. Let's. I know all you analytical geeks and and the people who think Mike Trout is the equivalent to Mickey Mantle or DiMaggio or or um or Ted Williams. Let's 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 slow it down. Who who want to give Mike Trout the MVP when his team when his team is fifty two and well I mean they're above five hundred but the twelve games out of first place. I let let and 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 are not even going to sniff the postseason. Not even going to sniff it, because you have two. Because you have three good teams in the AL East. You have two good teams in the Central, and 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 Oakland is is uh, is going to is trying to pull the same thing they did last year, and making a push for a postseason. They're fifty seven forty three and six six and a half out of uh, behind Houston in the West. And there and even though even though Houston's won five straight and they've won seven of the last ten. The division isn't isn't totally out out of the woods for uh, Oakland either, so they're not even going to sniff the postseason, could because because there's three teams because there's three three teams two of them probably are going to represent the wild card in Tampa Bay and Boston. You got three good teams in the AL East, two in the Central and two in the West, and the Angels and are I'm sorry I'm sorry Mike and Orange County, but the Angels are not making the postseason. So and everyone out there who wants to appear and give Mike Trout MVP on July twenty first, pump the brakes a little bit because there is a Yankee and no it is not Aaron Hicks, no it is not uh, Gary Sanchez, no it is not Edwin Encarnacion, nor is it Luke Voigt, Voigt Gleyber Torres, or D.D. Gregorius. His name is D.J. LeMahieu, who is hitting three thirty three this season. With fourteen home runs, four with fourteen home runs, sixty eight RBIs, and an OPS of eight of eight ninety three. This guy has been a lifesaver for the Yankees, considering that they've had to spend a large amount of time with Judge and Stanton on a DL. Mayhew leads the American League. In batting, leads the American League in batting percentage and is third in all of Major League Baseball in batting percentage. And and in RBIs, and in RBIs is seventh in the American League in RBIs behind Jose Abreu, Jorge Soler, Edwin Encarnacion, his teammate Rafael Devers, Bogarts, and Mike Trout. He's in top ten of three of two out of the three Triple Crown categories. Okay. He's hit. He's hitting the ball better than Mike Trout. Okay, and the Yankees, for all of the injury crap they've had to go through this season, and they have faced a lot of crap and a lot of adversity this season. 
there's no when you lose two of your big 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 sluggers and Stanton and Judge for a good period of time. And oh, by the way, your uh, trusty your trusty shortstop that is the predecessor, or excuse me, the successor to Derek Jeter and Didi Gregorius, and and you haven't had him the whole hundred games you've played so far, and you've been able to carry the load after coming from Nowheresville and Denver, Colorado, over to the New York Yankees, and have quietly led the led the American League in batting percentage, and is and is seventh in the American League in RBIs. I don't care if Trout leads the league in war leads the American League in war on base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. And he's leading in OPS slugging percentage and on base percentage. But I don't care, okay? Trout is ten games out of first place and isn't even going to sniff the postseason. DJ LeMayhew, who who I mean, unless you were a Colorado Rocky fan, fan is a no name. You know, New York Yankees. It's their little bubble. They only care about the Yankees. You know, they care about their little their little corner of Major League Baseball. But again, DJ LeMahieu, not Judge, not Sanchez, not Hicks, not Gregorius, not not Luke Voigt, not Glaber Torres, not Gio Urshela. Uh uh. This guy has been one of the best, arguably is the best player on the Yankees roster in the 2019 season. Not talking about skill-wise or talent, but statistically, he has been he has been one of the better players on on this on this on this Yankee roster. Leads his team and lead, leads the team in RBIs and batting average, and OPS and hits and in doubles, and and runs scored. By the way. I, I don't care about Mike Trout's dopey war, okay? Nobody's interested. Yankees are World Series favorites primarily because of DJ LeMahieu, okay? He leads the American League in batting average. Leads his team and leads the American League in batting average. And leads his team in OPS... And in hits and RBIs, and is seventh in the American League in RBIs. I, we get it. Mike Trout is one of the best talented players uh, p- these people have ever has seen in this in this millennium. But let's be honest, okay? Most valuable player, not you know the most outstanding player, mo- most stat stat leading player. Okay. If DJ LeMahieu was not on the Yankees, I tell you, the Yankees are not sitting in first place by nine games at 64 and 34 with DJ LeMahieu not on that roster. If I had a vote, this guy's getting MVP. Okay, to hell with Trout. He, he, he's, got, he's got his MVP awards to last him a lifetime. Okay. Okay, enough with Trout. I get it, Trout's a good guy and everything, and how he honored his teammate uh, Tyler Skaggs with his death and everything else wearing 45 to Austin. No one's questioning the fact that Mike Trout isn't a great person. But but can we calm down on the Mike Trout love fest and pay attention to some guys in the American League that deserve some praise and and deserve some some applause? Because DJ LeMay, he was certainly one of those guys. Again, he's playing on a roster that has Sanchez, Judge, Hicks, Glaber Torres, and he is one of the best players on the team. And if Stanton wasn't hurt, he still is probably the best player on this team this season. If I had to vote, he's my MVP for 2000. And 19 out of the American League. Last team, and then I'll get to uh, uh, the Pumpsy Green uh, death to wrap up the, this uh, long-ish monologue. Uh, and the last team is the Washington Nationals, who at the time that I'm recording this podcast is losing to Atlanta Braves by the, by the score of 2 to nothing. 
They are they've won seven out of their last ten games. They are fifty-two and forty-five. A team that at one point was was out of first place by double digits and was below five hundred by by double digits and has absolutely set the world on fire since really since mid mid to late June and have absolutely hit the ball off the cover and have outpitched out everything their opponent. Out out pitch, the bullpen has turned around, starting pitching has definitely I mean they have done everything right since middle of June and 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 you're seeing the benefits of it at the fact they're still have a chance five and a half you know, I mean, it it helps if they aren't losing two to nothing by the against the Atlanta Braves, who are in first place by five and a half games. You gotta win. You gotta win games against teams that are in the division, especially if you're the one in the rear. If you're the one in their rearview mirror trying to chase them, but that's not here nor there. But they've done everything right for the most part, and Mart and uh, Martinez, who isn't exactly Davy Johnson. Managing the ball club has turned around with how he manages his bullpen and has I don't know what he's done, but he's gotten his team to do a complete one eighty three sixty whatever you want to call it of of uh, of the of their team's performance and it's paid dividends. This is the team that has no Bryce Harper on it, one one of the face of their franchise that. Unlike the Orioles, they gave him, you know, they gave him a contract. They gave him a respectable contract offer. But this is a team that saw their homegrown boy Bryce Harper leave up the uh, leave up the interstate to go to Philly. And really, since mid June, has not let that affect them whatsoever. And guys like for and guys like. Uh, Anthony Rendon is one of the big reasons. Is one of the big reasons why. What a season he's had. He's hitting three twenty one, twenty home runs, sixty seven RBIs, and an OPS of a thousand fifteen. This season. What a job, he's done. I mean, if it wasn't for Cody Ballinger and if it wasn't for Cody Ballinger and. Uh, uh, Christian Yelich hitting the cover off the ball in their respective seats for their respective teams. This is a guy who should, if he keeps it up, and if the Nationals make the postseason or or make it or some, something crazy enough happens where they make it to the World Series, this guy should be third in MVP voting. Third, because three. I I can't. And I've seen and I've followed the Nationals not as close as I do the Orioles, but I've been following the Nationals relative relatively since they've been here in two thousand five, and since they've been good with Harper on the team with a microscope. And I can never recall a time where where uh, Anthony Rendon has had a monstrous season like he's had this year. Three twenty one, twenty RBI. Excuse me, twenty home runs, sixty seven RBIs, and an OPS of over a thousand. What a job he has done! What a job! Fourth in the National League in RBIs. He is. He is twenty fourth in which I mean. I mean, to, to twenty home runs in July is nothing to sneeze at. So he's not, you know, he's not top ten, top fifteen, but twenty home runs from a third baseman is nothing to sneeze at, especially when, especially when you're fourth in the National League in home runs, and you lead your team in average home runs and RBIs and slugging percentage and OPS, and or not hits, but in OPS slugging percentage, RBIs, home runs. And average. That's nothing to sneeze at. When you lead your team in, in all three of the triple crown categories, slugging percentage and OPS, that that that's not on, on a on a team that has completely turned it around since practically Father's Day on on up to this point is pre, is pretty impressive. And the Nationals gotta keep it up. And if they make it to the postseason, 
have somehow, someway, got to figure out or find a way to win a postseason series. Because if they go back to the postseason and get whooped by the Dodgers or get whooped by the uh, by the Braves or whoever comes out of the Central, we're going to be like, well, different different roster, but different roster, so to speak, but same old Washington Nationals. What the Nationals got to do is keep it up and get to October, and 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 put the and put the jokes and the memes and and the. Uh, and the uh, criticism to bed over the fact that they, over the fact that they're pretty much like their uh, hockey counterpart pre two thousand eighteen when they won the Stanley Cup and won a playoff series. And that's pretty much where you stand with major with the major league baseball for the most part, heading up to uh, here in mid mid late July. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on: Pumpsy Green. He passed. He passed away earlier this week. He was the first black Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Boston Red Sox was one of the last teams to integrate. One of the last teams to integrate. He, you know, he won that great. Won that great of a player. To career batting average. He uh, was hit two forty six with seventy. So he, he, you know, he not obviously not a Hall of Famer, but one. But he certainly plays an important part in in Red Sox baseball, black baseball, and black sports, and in black uh, black African American history, being the first uh, being the first uh, red, black Red Sox in team history. The Red Sox, like I mentioned earlier, one of the last teams to integrate because of the because of the racist tendencies of uh, of their owner of their uh, owner Yawkey uh, back in the day, and also the fact that Boston is one of the most racist cities in America. Like it or not, that is that is fact and that is truth. That that city, if you if you are a Negroid with uh, kinky hair. And you're playing, and you're playing, uh, especially the Boston Red Sox. You will not be treated like a uh, like a uh, like a Class A citizen. Just uh, ask Adam Jones when all he was trying to do was play a baseball game and, and got a uh, got a uh, bag of peanuts thrown at him and was, had racial slurs uh, yelled at. So. But anyway, July 21st, 1959, which is actually today. How about that? Ain't that special? So today, 60 years ago, this date in baseball history, 60 years ago, July 21st, 1959, Pumpsy broke, was the last player to bake baseball's color barrier, being the first black man to wear the uniform of the Boston Red Sox. So... Just want to get that on the board uh, to close out the monologue. He died at uh, 85 years old. Take a break. I got my man Brandon Dillon on the line to talk about the history and uh, historical significance and the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission where an American man first walked on the moon back after this. Welcome back to Amateur Like Italia's podcast. Joining me now is a good friend and a future astrophysicist and uh, astronomy extraordinaire who's right now bouncing around uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He had his flight canceled earlier today, so let's hope he's in a good and uh, peppy mood. <laughs> Brendan, how are you today, pal? Okay. Doing wonderful. Sitting outside right now on a deck at like 12 at night, looking up at the sky. There's this huge uh, radio tower that's, like, right next to our house that goes up probably about a half a mile into the sky. Joking, obviously. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it's really nice. It's really pretty. Uh, I'm looking over marshland right now in the middle of nowhere in uh, South Carolina near Charleston. So, yeah, happy to be here. Good. Now, last time I had you on, it was to talk about 
uh, Super Bowl 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, and typically, we have you on to talk football, and we'll have you on, of course, throughout the time of the NFL season. That starts up in a month and some change. Mm-hmm. But because you are an astronomy extraordinaire like yourself and unlike yours truly, yeah. I decided to have you on and talk about the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 uh, moon landing. Yeah, it's a really amazing so, event for humanity. Thank you for having me come on and talk about this. Uh, anytime, man. First off, let me hear basically tell the get tell the audience your recollection your recollection and your summary of the Apollo eleven mission. So Apollo eleven was the first uh well space flight in which we landed on the moon with human beings. Um it was uh, commanded by Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin was the lunar uh, pilot, uh, lunar module pilot, and then um, Chris Collins, or no, Chris Collins, Michael Collins was the uh, command module pilot, and he basically stayed on the command pod, uh, module while uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin went down to the surface on the uh, lunar module. Um, which was dubbed the Eagle, uh, especially uh, after um, Armstrong landed on the moon and said his famous words, which you all know as the Eagle has landed. He's, uh, mm-hmm. It's a really, really important event in uh, human history. Um, they landed on July the 20th, which is two days ago. Right, on Saturday. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a very important event for humanity because it really proved that we could, you know, kind of land on other planets, or not planets, land on other, I guess, planetoids other than our own. Um, right. Because something like that had never been done before by a human being. And, you know, it's, it's really amazing. It's a lot of hard work to work put into the Saturn V rocket, which was developed over like five or six years just for these flights. Um, and just the overall process by which uh, they got to the moon, which is insane in and of itself. They had a uh, command module, which is the module which ferried them to the moon. Uh, they'd leave the command module in orbit around the moon, and they'd use the lunar module to go down and land on a descent stage while somebody stayed up in the command module. And that was pretty innovative uh, as an idea for the time period because it was like a ferry system almost, and a lot of people thought that it would just be a single-stage process by which they'd have both a ferry and lander on the same exact object, and the ferry would land as the lander on the moon for the time period. But Werner von Braun came along and, uh, notorious Nazi scientist, by the way, not exactly the best person in the world, uh, he came along and innovated with his idea of um, this ferry-like system, which was then put into effect, and got us to the moon successfully obviously more times than once we got there six times man a lot of people on the moon and you pretty much answered my second question on the historical significance to what it meant for us as human beings to finally make it up to the moon uh we were in a space race with Russia, which was then known as the Soviet Union. Give me some thoughts on what uh, beating Russia to the moon meant as far as the Cold War was concerned in the 1960s. Well, Russia was winning for a really long time. They got up with uh, Sputnik uh, at the end of the uh, 1950s. And then after that, they got Yuri Gagarin up in uh well in into the stratosphere which believe me a lot of people were surprised we got people up there but they also were responsible for the first living thing so i skipped that yeah they got fruit flies up into space 
which a lot of people don't know is actually the uh, first living thing up in orbit. And then after that, they also got up Laika, which is a really, really famous uh, dog they got into space on Sputnik, too. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but back to Yuri Gargarin. Yuri Gargarin is probably one of the more, peop- more important people to get up um, into space because of just the fact he was the first. Uh, right. Yeah, it, it, he was uh, the commander of Vostok 1, and Vostok 1 went up to space in, like, 1961. And basically, the first time human beings had ever been into space. It's crazy. And then after right. that, and then after that um, it really got intense. Uh, you know, Kennedy's dubbed him saying, uh, we go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Um, right. That we'd be going and he there. Said, and he said, sorry to cut you off, but Kennedy said that one of his missions as U.S. president was to make sure that the U.S. beat Russia to the moon. If yeah. It wasn't, yeah. And Right, and his and his mission came to f- fruition, or to yeah. it, whatever the dopey word is. Fruition, now, can right. right? So, right. So, so on the uh, part of Lyndon Baines Johnson and NASA carried out uh, JFK's mission when he got inaugurated at the beginning of the decade. JFK, of course, was assassinated in '63. Yep. Moon landing was in '69, so JFK had been dead for six over six for yeah, coming on six years. years. Yeah, Nixon, when Nixon the moon landing occurred. Yeah, Nixon was president when they landed on the moon. A lot oh, of they did. Don't know that, but Nixon, Nixon was president. <laughs> Good, good job, good job on your part. Yeah, because he had, Nixon comes in, lands on the moon. I am not a crook, and then he's impeached. So, <laughs> Nixon, Nixon uh, definitely got us to the moon, though. Yeah, in his presidency, it's amazing yeah. though that, um, well, I guess the Apollo missions kind of fell off after Apollo Eleven. Like nobody really cared as much. That's actually the reason why Apollo, the whole entire idea of us going to the moon, died with seventeen. They had like twenty, they had like twenty missions planned out all the way up to Apollo twenty. Um, right. Yeah. Did not know that. And um, basically, what happened was people just got bored and wouldn't didn't care about television broadcasts or the science they were actually developing. And eventually, since money wasn't coming in from the government, they just had to scrap it as a whole because going to the moon is unsurprisingly extremely expensive and rocket fuel costs a lot of money. So, so yeah, they ended with Apollo 17. Welcome back to the Amatelaki TIA's podcast. Switching gears now to the greens in the sport of golf. Our man, our little pal Tiger Woods, played and participated in the Open Championship this past weekend and failed to make the cut to play in the weekend. Played Thursday and Friday, and boy, did he have an abysmal first day. He bogeyed on the which the Open Championship, FYI, to you not to non-golf fans out there. It's the last major championship golf tournament of the year. And it takes place over in Ireland across the country. So, five-hour time difference. Got to factor that in. But, uh, let's get the Tiger Woods scorecard. He bogeyed the... This... His... Oh, gosh. This is the... His first nine were... It's five... The five through nine holes were... Excuse me. Five through ten holes were ridiculous. He bogeyed the fifth hole... Double bogeyed the sixth, bogeyed the seventh, even par on the eighth hole, bogeyed the ninth hole, bogeyed the tenth hole, bogeyed the fourteenth hole, and bogeyed the eighteenth hole, and 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 and, and came out with a uh, and and came out of there with with a uh, with a with a with a, with a seventy eight with a seventy eight in round one, then on Friday. He birdied the first. He birdied the first hole, the sixth hole, the tenth, and the eleventh, but bogeyed to close out in the seventeenth and the eighteenth hole, and bogeyed on the seventh. 
I mean, tiger, 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 tiger. I mean, and, and it was funny because heading into the tournament, Tiger came in and was like, well, well, the Masters, saying how the Masters really took a lot out of him. You know, he he basically threw up the white flag and and admitted defeat and had a defeatist attitude before he even stepped on the golf course. I mean, if you re- I mean, if you really want, I mean, it was weird because Tiger, the Tiger that we know and love, and the and the old Tiger that that did that didn't care, and 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 the Tiger that would that would that would tear your mouth out to beat you, you know, he 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 never said anything, never made any comments or said anything to to give the perception like like he was going to lose. He just didn't do it that because that wasn't Tiger and that wasn't nature of who he is. But he caught me. He comes in the following week. I'm reading. I'm like Tiger. What are you doing, man? You you like having a defeatist attitude and you're and you're all and you throw up the white flag for you even stepped on the first tee box on on the opening round. And and that just shows when you when when you count your, when you count yourself out of something and when you admit defeat. Not necessarily come right out and saying it, but with your body language and your words, you've already lost. And that, and and as soon as Tiger made those comments, he already lost. And it it, it wasn't until he stepped out on when he stepped out out there on the golf course, where he really still day lost. I mean, it was almost. I mean, he was he was almost had a he he was almost had like a happy to be here type of mentality which is so unlike the Tiger Woods we're used to seeing. And this is the Tiger Woods that looked like his old self, his vintage self, winning the Masters back in April. And he's and it shows and he shows up at the open, heading into it, his appearance says, Well the Masters took a lot out of me, basically saying that he wasn't a hundred percent and don't expect me to win the whole thing. I'm just going in and just compete and have fun and frolic around the, the Irish Hills <laughs> and, and and he pretty much took himself right out of the golf tournament as soon as he said that. I mean, first round played outside of one hole played pitiful from holes five to ten in the first round. Did nothing but bogey, and and only birdie did nothing but bogey and only buried a handful of times, and he and he missed the cut. And he, and he can't and he can't win golf tournaments. When you when you when you committing bogeys and you can't win anything in life, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what the level is, what the sport is, by basically going out there and saying with a just happy to be here, defeatist attitude, and 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 backdooring yourself, backdooring away, saying, "Well, I already lost. I I, I didn't win." And before it even starts, and and it's and it's basically what Tiger did, and Tiger. And his and see and this is I mean he's kind of he's falling in love with golf again, but it's but it's not it's not the way it's not the way you want him to. He's he it's it's almost like it's two extremes. He also he used to he used to be the robot that didn't care that would you know that would cut his right arm off the beacher. You know, had had that assassin, uh, per, had that assassin temperament about him that only he and Michael Jordan are the two athletes that people can recall of seeing of sharing that same type of attitude and same type of demeanor when it comes to the field of competition. And that, and then, and then all that, and then he goes, and then he go, goes downhill for a little bit, which, which you know, it it happens. We we all know the story why. But then it's like his personality does complete one eighty, and it's and he's become too Mister too uh no he's been be, he's become Mister Nice Guy. He I mean he he's become Mister Nice Guy, and I I don't know I mean I mean if Ty expects to win any more majors he. I tell you, he can't. He, he's got to stop with that. With that waving a white flag for the match before the uh, before the golf event even starts, he's got to stop that. He's got to go in there and say, even if he doesn't feel his best, he's got to go in there and say, "Wait, look, I prepared this, 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 and this. I expect to do this, this, and that. My game plan is this. I expect to win the tournament." 
Yeah, he, he, he. And if that even means him lying to himself when he tells the media that, when he, when in reality it feels like crap and he isn't and he isn't at his hundred percent, then so be it. But you can't sit up here and be that transparent with the media and basically say, "Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't feel the best. Masters took a lot out of, of me. I expect to suck in this open in this open championship. Yet I have yet I haven't even hit a, hit hit my first ball off the tee box on uh, hole number one." On uh on the Thursday afternoon Thursday morning whatever it is, so that Tiger absolutely pissed down his leg in the Open Championship, absolutely vomit all over himself, and and he's gotta he's he's gotta he's gotta fix himself and reevaluate because we don't want this Tiger to be well. He came back from glory to win the Masters, and it's the same old boring Tiger does nothing but lose and. Mrs. Cuts on tournaments and everything else. But anyway, take a break. Three things to touch on. Ben Simmons' contract extension with the 76ers. Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction was was uh, today on Sunday. And Tyree Kell and Ezekiel Elliott avoid the wheel of discipline from the, old, from the $30 million gingerbread man himself and Roger Goodell. <laughs> I'll take a break. Back right after this. Welcome back to my Talk at TIS Podcast. Got three quick items to get to to close out the show. First off, Ben Simmons. Uh, he received a five-year max contract with ex- extension worth $170 million dollars uh this it does not include an option for the final year uh that this is uh from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski Wojnarowski whatever his name is uh last season Simmons just read off his stats right quick average average about 17 points a game eight about Nine rebounds, seven assists, and a steal and a half in 34 minutes of action per game. But six is named his first all-star team. Sims is an okay player. Nothing great. Nothing outstanding. Uh, I mean, average, uh, average of the set, average of 17 points this past season. That doesn't really, he's, he's a nice player. I mean, he's okay. Simmons doesn't really. I mean, eh. I mean, he was a first round pick, his first overall pick in 2016, and the guy's putting up mediocre stats. Uh, giving him a max contract to 170 million dollars seems a bit much, but hey, this is the NBA where you where we give out max contracts like uh like uh homeowners give out candy on Halloween night, so get, put that uh Simmons thing to bed. Uh. The 2019 Hall of Fame induction ceremony was today. This Hall of Fame, uh, just name read you the names that got elected into the Hall of Fame and got excuse me got inducted into the Hall of Fame today. You had former Orioles and Yankees pitcher Mike Mussina. He got in. Harold Baines, who had no business being near the Hall of Fame, but. I mean the committee that the today's modern era committee that consisted of practically a teammate, uh, owner of one of the teams he played for, a manager, a GM, conflict of interest. But hey, all these Hall of Fames are screwed up now. It's become the Hall of Fame of the immortal down to the very good. And if you're very good, and if you get lucky, and if you have about five people at five out of six people on a committee that you that you had in contact with throughout your career and you're a compiler and you play over 20 years in major league baseball and you have over 250,000 to if you have over 2,500 hits you'll get in the hall of fame harold baines has no no business being near the hall of fame played forever didn't even get 3,000 hits I mean, Harold Baines is not a Hall of Fame player. Just just going off of stats alone, I'm sorry. He he he's 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 not a, he's not a Hall of Fame player. I don't care what anybody says. He no, he's not a Hall of Fame player. That's neither here nor there. Nor is or uh, no, I shouldn't say nor, but the players who did get in, Roy Holiday, who died in a plane crash a few years ago. 
his wife, uh, his uh, late wife, his widow, she gave the uh, she gave the speech earlier uh, this afternoon on the behalf of Roy Holiday, who is a Hall of Fame pitcher. No one's arguing. No one's going to argue that. He got into the Hall of Fame as well as Lee Smith, another guy who has own business in the Hall of Fame. You know, a compiler. I mean, I'll, here let me break down his stats. Let me break down his stats right quick. Win loss record was seventy one. I mean, seventy one and ninety two, with an ERA over three and over one thousand strikeouts, and seven time All Star and led the league in saves four times. Yeah, he that 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 that's compiler. Oh, I'm sorry. He played from 1980 to 1997. He played he played a long time, but him and Reigns have no business being in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, uh, guy. Uh, but uh, let me read off, read you off the Roy Holiday I mentioned already. Mariano Rivera, one of the greatest close the greatest closer this game has ever seen. First player in Major League Baseball history to unanimously get voted in by the writers. He, no doubt, is a Hall of Fame, uh, is a Hall of Famer. If you think Mariano Rivera is not a Hall of Famer, you're either one of two things: a troll or or a Class A jackass. I mean, there's nothing else to say. Uh, Mike Mussina, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, was he? I mean, he. I never, you know, I never saw him play. I heard of him because you know the Orioles traded Mike Mussina. You know, say it's the comparisons made me tell. The Hall of Fame, I'll give it to you. Edgar Martinez, he was a very good player going off, going by his stats. Not a great player. Uh, Edgar Martinez, he went, uh, let's see. Edgar Martinez, in his career, he was a career 312 hitter, which is good. But I mean, you take away the batting average. I mean, batting champion twice led the league, led American League in RBIs in two thousand five times. Silver Slugger since. I mean, when you ha- when you don't even crack twenty five hundred hits and you barely crack three thousand home runs. Like I said, Hall of Fame of the very good, not Hall of Fame of the all time great. And you have and you have Edgar, you have Lee Smith, and you have Harold Baines. Musina, I can live with Holiday and Rivera automatic uh Hall of Famers in my opinion. Uh last item of business I want to get into before we say goodbye is Tyreek Hill and Ezekiel Elliott. Tyreek Hill, who was in a uh, was in a child abuse case, was in a uh, caught himself in a child abuse case. <sighs> Wasn't suspended by the NFL. Uh, charges were dropped against Tyreek Hill, but the NFL did not suspend Tyreek Hill because they didn't say that he violated the league's personal conduct policy. Uh, said he could op- he can participate in training camp immediately. Uh, the NFL they had a comprehensive investigation looking over Terry Kill and the child abuse uh scenario. Charges were uh, dropped as far as the uh the laws concerned. Uh, and the. And it's not just Tyree Kill. It's it's the uh, it's the baby mama too. It's it's the child's mother too. And the reason why it didn't go further with the local law enforcement is because that the evidence available it does it can't the police basically can't determine who who caused what uh, injuries to the kid. So I mean, so that's why there's nothing uh, coming down from the local law enforcement over in Missouri. And the NFL basically, you know, unless you're Ezekiel Elliott, they kind of go off of what the law enforcement says, and they say, well, he didn't, he didn't, quote unquote, violate any, uh, any, uh, any rule because according to the police, they they can't separate what he did from what the uh, what the what the mama did, so they'll so they'll let Tyreek Hill slide. But believe me, if he gets himself in another. Situation between now and week one, you will not see Tyreek Hill hit the field in 2019. You can 
put that in the bank and I will put my John Hancock on that check because he he really has to keep himself out of trouble. The microscope's on him now and also on the Chiefs and Andy Reid who had themselves in trouble with Kareem Hunt the situation in the hotel room and you know Andy Reid's got to have better you know a little bit better control of his locker room and not making sure that his players are going off whooping kids to the white meat shows and beating and beating girls senseless in hotel hallways or whatever the case might be. Uh, Zeke Elliott, he won't face discipline either after getting into an altercation in Vegas back in the early part of the spring. Uh, it does hit, It does seem like that they're going to press uh, charges on Ezekiel Elliott. The local law enforcement will, but the NFL does not Will not uh, Zeke Elliott's leaving the country? Oh my gosh, Almighty! And and and, and he's uh and and he's and he's, ho- and he's holding out. I mean, the, you're Ezekiel Elliott, and you're Ezekiel Elliott, uh, and and you basically ha- haven't kept yourself out of trouble. I mean, I'm reading here sayings that that he plans to skip training. You're Ezekiel Elliott. Who has been nothing but a complete headache and the thorn and Roger Goodell's and cowboy fans and fans and 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 people that bleed blue and blue and white and silver. You've been a complete pain in their backside since you've been into the league because you can't. Whether it's taking girls' tops off at St. Patrick's Day parades. You getting into domestic disputes. You shoving. I mean, he's been a complete headache. Since he's came, since basically his days at at Ohio State, and and under that umbrella of Urban Meyer, who isn't who isn't exactly uh, Father Flanagan himself, but you're Ezekiel Elliott, who's been granted he is a granted he's a better player than Dak Prescott is, but I if I am the Dallas Cowboys, I am not giving Zeke a penny, not a penny, okay. I I could care less, okay? Steelers, they got by with they got by with James Conner, okay? When it comes to the offense, when it comes to the offense, you need a quarterback, a decent tight, but you need a quarterback and a wide receiver. Running back, running backs, you can kind of play that by ear, play that by committee, because a they don't last long like they used to, and b and b they're disposable. You know, one year they light the world on fire and everybody's fantasy favorite, and the next year they can't get out of their own way and they stink. So if I am and the with the and and the and the Cowboys can't win, and not saying that deep, uh, not saying that, and Dak Prescott isn't Roger Staubach or isn't uh, Troy Aikman by any stretch, but but let's be honest, you can't win in the National Football League without a without a without a franchise quarterback. And they don't all have to be Tom Brady. And if the Cowboys don't lock up Dak, they will be in a heap of trouble with Coach with Coach Clapp on the sidelines and Jerry Jones calling the shots from his uh, from his uh, owner's suite up at uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Zeke is a better player than Dak is. But Zeke is not worth the headache. Here's the two things Dak has the advantage on. Hasn't gotten into trouble off the field, and he plays the most valuable position in the sport. So when you behave yourself off the field and you play the most valuable position in the sport, you're going to have the upper hand against a guy who may be better than you talent-wise, but it's a complete headache, a complete headache to to the team, and to Roger Goodell and the board of discipline because he can't cause he because he can't keep himself out of trouble, uh, when when he's not on the practice field or not or or uh on not on game days or, not in the uh in the in the weights training room. So he doesn't face Goodell's will of discipline. But. I mean, leaving the country and holding out, and you're Zeke Elliott, and this, and you can't, and you have problems just 
behaving and acting like a cordial role model when you're not on the football field, whether it be shoving security guards or pulling down girls' tops at St. Patrick Day parades because you had because you couldn't stay off the weed or had a little bit too much to drink at your local bar. I mean, whatever the case might be, Zeke Elliott is not worth the headache. I don't care what I don't care what Cowboy fans said. I could, I could care less. Zeke is a is a better player than Dak talent wise, but but he's a headache off the field. Any 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 plays the position that that is that that is that is the equivalent of of a disposable camera. It serves its use to serve its purpose, and when it's done, you chuck it in the garbage can. Like I said, two advantages Dak has over Zeke for a con- for a contract extension. Plays the most valuable position in the sport, and he keeps himself out of trouble. Zeke better player than Dak talent wise, but his position isn't as valuable compared to the quarterback position. And he and he's always in the headlines, and he's always in the news for all the wrong reasons. Always is a complete utter headache. And if I am Jerry Jones, I do not give him a penny. I don't care if he leaves the country and and lives and lives in Cabo or Turks and Caicos or in Bora Bora from now till Christmas morning. I could care less. Not giving him a penny because he has not pro- proved to me and shown me or his teammates around him or his coach. Jason Garrett, that he deserves that big time money when he can't even behave himself out 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 on the streets and in, in, in the public eye. I would not give him a penny. Deck plays most important and the most valuable position in the sport, and he's not a headache. Zeke better player than Dak talent wise. Dak is no Roger Staubach on any circumstances. But Zeke is a headache. Dak is not. Want to thank you for listening to this episode of the I'm TIA's podcast. If you like what you heard and it's your first time uh, coming around to this and listening to this podcast, be sure to subscribe down below. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, be sure to give a star review and type in a, a review of what you thought, what you liked, what you hated. If you you know you even say that hey I don't like this guy this guy's voice is, is annoying and it's, and and it sucks he's saying he sounds like a terrible bass player his voice sounds like a de- terrible bass player I don't know I could care less anyway like what you heard subscribe if you don't so be it I'm your boy Josh Shields thank you for listening I'll talk to y'all next week God bless stay safe out of this heat and take care see you.